Welcome to the Miller Oddcast, a brand new podcast from the Missouri Review. For over 40 years now, TMR has been discovering and publishing the best contemporary writing in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Our quarterly magazine appears in print, digital, and audio formats. Learn more at MissouriReview.com. Hello, hello, hello. And here we are. It's episode six of the Oddcast, and I'm Mark McKee. Managing Editor of the Missouri Review. This episode features The Distant Sound of Bees, a collaboration between the poet Molly Bashaw and the saxophonist and composer Johannes Leopold. Molly Bashaw is the author of the poetry collection The Whole Field Still Moving Inside It, printed in 2014. Her essays and poetry have appeared in The New Yorker, The New England Review, The Iowa Review, Crazy Horse, and others. Johannes Leopold is a jazz saxophone player and composer. The text was written by Molly. The sound engineering and production are by Johannes. All sounds and music were written, created, performed, and recorded by Molly, Johannes, and the Honeybees. The Distant Sound of Bees is a deeply felt reflection on a couple's efforts to conceive after losing a child. The fruitlessness of these efforts lead them to beekeeping. And the result is a yearning odyssey in Bashaw's voice, Leopold's saxophone, and the cloud of buzzing around their hive and the bees' circuitous forays. The hive itself becomes a material, living presence that contains its own promises and possibilities, and forges connections and reconnections to family and community. In the face of certain want and uncertain outcomes, this attentive and moving piece finds the only resolutions many of us have in ritual, in family and friends, and desperate love. Enjoy. The Distant Sound of Bees After my husband and I lost our first child, we were not able to easily conceive again. We tried being exact, then being free. We tried magic and prayer and sepia. We ordered an elixir called La Vita for 50 euros per bottle and drank a spoonful every day. Nothing seemed to work. Then we took up beekeeping. That spring night, we brought the first hive to the meadow in our car and left it there alone under the locust trees. I dreamed I was in a self-help group. Members introduced themselves by telling about their children. After I told them about my queen bee, one of the men from the group, in reality a neighbor of ours called Bernie, hugged me and said he was so happy we'd finally received our child. The beehive came to be many things, if never a real baby. It was a distant harp, a phone booth, and a magic eight ball. Every day I asked it, will we ever make another child? And every day it answered, ask again later. It was a chapel where I prayed, a tray of old slides, and it was a tuning fork. It was a theremin. If I held my hand near it, it sang. 
As winter approached, I started to imagine crocheting a little hat for each bee. A friend visiting from England told us she'd read a story by Roald Dahl about an infertile couple taking royal jelly. In the end, they even feed it to the baby, she said. It was one of those well-meant comments that stings. But then I actually read the story and began to look into royal jelly and its benefits, and my husband and I decided to try it too. Thereafter, whenever we found a queen's cell in the beehive, we waited for the bees to fill it with jelly and seal it with wax, and then we cut the peanut-sized, fully constructed cell away from the rest of the comb. It was tricky timing this just right. We had to open the hives more than usual, and also to get to the cells before the baby queen had begun to grow inside. At home, we ate these like bonbons all spring, sometimes up to 16 a week. We fed them to each other like medicine from spoons full of honey. Because my mother was a beekeeper and is now in a home for Alzheimer's patients in Vermont, beekeeping has also become a way of maintaining a connection to her, who otherwise is no longer able to communicate in a way I can understand. This is how the beehive is also my telephone booth. The little slit through which the bees fly into and out of the hive reminds me of the slot into which I used to push quarters at the phone booth on the end of the street where I lived. I talk into the beehive and it seems I am talking with my mother. What was it like to give birth to me, I ask her. But the hive is already the magic eight ball again. It only answers, better not tell you now. The meadow is absolutely beautiful, covered with vetch and Queen Anne's lace and wild herbs that smell like carrots. The grasses are so long you can't even see the hives until you come up close to them. And then they seem as large and important as pyramids in a desert. Sometimes I go to them even when there is nothing to be done. I sit at a small distance and watch the bees coming and going, dancing on their landing pad in front of the entrance, or dragging out the dead drones. Other times the hives serve as magic vehicles. They take me to faraway places, like Greece especially since I named them Athens, Lefkas, Niagara, and Alaska. I open one hive and I am not seeing the frames and the bees only. I am seeing lemons large as lamps, and bougainvillea and octopus hanging on clothesline, goats tumbling down an arid hillside, their dewlaps swinging like pendula. In another hive, I can go all the way back to Niagara Falls and ride the maid of the mist with my mother, the mist wetting our cheeks as we laugh innocently at all the water. And inside the hive nearest the woods, I finally travel to Palmer, Alaska, to see my dad's brother and meet my first cousin, Calvin. We go onto the ice for some fishing, but never catch the smelt or crappies, just tell stories and play euphonium in the little fishing shack. My cousin is getting pretty good for a third grader. 
He even grooves on Owen the Saints now. The beehive looks a lot like a small fishing shack, and all that waiting turns the quiet ice into a magic eight ball. Will I ever have another child? I ask the shiny black surface. Cannot predict now, it says, like a fish underwater. Because the bees never stop working inside the hive, I like to go to them at night and place my hands on the wood. It reminds me of walking through a horse pasture in the dark, the way you know where the horses are by their smell. I put my hands on the hive and try to feel the sound of the bees working, as though I were a deaf woman. Johannes sometimes comes to the meadow at night with me too. He blindfolds me and leads me in circles and figure eights through the long grass. He spins me in one place, then leads me further, spins me again, confusing me with kisses and song. Now where are the bees? I have to listen hard to hear them. Then we switch. A spider has built a web right in front of one hive, Lefkas. I notice two dead bees in her web the next time we are working and accuse her of being opportunistic. But then I realize she is only doing exactly what we are doing. I leave the web alone. Good luck, I tell her. I don't know if our fertility is improving. So far, we have still not become pregnant again in the traditional sense. There is no baby bee growing inside me, no baby boy or girl. But the bees have changed our lives. I began beekeeping imagining it would be a solitary pursuit. The bees would be mine, I told my husband in an absurd warning. But this was not possible. I can't lift even one full hive of honey, and I can't drive a car while also sitting in the back holding the honey hives from sliding off each other. If I can't find the queen, Johannes usually can. If he misses the cells full of royal jelly, I can spot them quickly. Sometimes his whole family gets involved, his mom carrying the smoker for us, his father removing the cinder blocks from the covers, his niece collecting pieces of wax, all of us standing around the hive looking in. Club members have helped us harvest honey or lent us equipment. We usually ride our bikes together to the bees along the river and then up a long hill. Last time we even found a fallen tree full of sour cherries on the road to Lindelbach and packed them into our saddlebags. When I see Yo in his veil, his Carhartt pants tucked into his stripy socks, his belt around the outside of his flannel shirt at his midriff, lifting a frame of bright orange pollen into the sunlight, concentrating on not killing a single bee. He looks to me like a giant black bear, and I want to hold him with all my desperate love.
Thanks for being with us on the Miller Oddcast number six, featuring the work of Molly Beshaw and Johannes Leopold and their honeybees. Our gratitude to them for allowing us to showcase their work. It's an honor. Stay tuned for Miller Oddcast number seven, coming soon. Take heed. Submissions are now open for the 2021 Miller Audio Prize. Learn all about it at our website. Thanks also to the Missouri Review Contest Editor, Bailey Boyd, and to Patricia Miller for her generous support of the Miller Audio Prize. Finally, TMR is open for submissions year-round, and we remain dedicated to discovering and publishing the best contemporary writing in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Be heard. Give us the opportunity to discover you. Subscribe or submit your work today. Learn more at MissouriReview.com.